This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hello and welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Today's episode is called Why Marketing is a Martial Art. My guest today is Stephen Oliver. Stephen is a ninth degree black belt who is a marketing Mr. Miyagi. If you don't know that reference, sit tight. We'll explain in a moment. Stephen worked his way through Georgetown University teaching karate. He expected to go on to get an MBA at Harvard or Wharton, then on to Wall Street. Instead, upon graduating, he moved to Denver and opened six martial arts schools within 30 months. He grew it to 3,500 students and developed a multi-million dollar business. He ended up promoting one of the top tournaments in the world, and he grew into coaching martial arts schools internationally. Now he also coaches financial advisors on marketing, sales, management, and teaching. He's written eight books on marketing, management, and personal growth, most aimed at martial arts school operators or financial advisors for practice management and growth. He's been a speaker at organizations ranging from elementary schools to international industry events. He shared the stage at his own events and those of others with Lee Miltier, Dan Kennedy, Brian Tracy, professional athletes Chuck Norris, Jay Abraham, Wayne Dyer, and Tony Robbins. Stephen Oliver, welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Hey, great to be here, Tom. I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah, really happy to have you here. And and I made that reference to this guy named Mr. Miyagi. You and I are very much old enough to remember. I think it was 1984 yeah. when a movie called Karate Kid came out. There was this kid, uh, Ralph Macchio played uh, the kid. Mr. Miyagi was his martial arts mentor. Yeah. And you have a great story that I've heard you tell about marketing your karate schools in conjunction with the movies. Some great lessons from that one. Tell oh, us yeah. about uh, tell us about the movie. Yeah, a, a, a couple of things on that and, and you know I, I want to go back to the Miyagi um, thing for a second. But when I was uh, working my way through uh, Georgetown, I was working for an in- organization called the Junri Institute. And world-famous Taekwondo instructor, known as the father of Taekwondo, but he was good friends with Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee, among others, uh, who were also his students. And, and, and um, um, uh, he was the, the official instructor for Congress, taught everybody from George H.W. Bush to Joe Biden and Newt Gingrich, you know, a huge, huge number of uh, po- politicians there in, in D.C. But I had heard stories about the release of Enter the Dragon. That's even an older reference. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the movie that in essence made Bruce Lee international star that was released sadly after he died. And I had heard about their promotions. And when Karate Kid came out and, and you're old enough to remember, I am 
but it was a sleeper. It was one of those things. It wasn't, you know, here's the next Star Wars movie. Here's the next blockbuster. It was, it was kind of this little kind of poorly funded under the radar movie. And I managed to go see a early preview screening and went, wow, the message in this is perfect for us. And there's the great scene of, you know, Miyagi's talking to Daniel, you know, Daniel, why do we learn karate? Do we learn karate to fight? No, we learn karate so we don't have to fight. All this great philosophical message. So by the time the movie was full bore on the weekends and, and uh, offline, you had mentioned cutting and pasting and newspapers and so forth. This was in the era that I had to go take an X-Acto knife and a board, cut out the pictures to paste, you know, with tape. And then I took the pictures down to a silk screening shop and had them blow up poster size silk screen boards for yeah. posters in the movie theater. And then we went over and, and, and mimeographed flyers uh, to hand out in the theaters. And the Karate Kid uh, uh, series probably uh, probably made me an extra three, four million dollars in revenue, uh, wow. easily two or three million, uh, easily two or three thousand uh, students from the in the movie promotions that we did as well as the other the other things we ramped up on uh but the back but funny backstory with miyagi chuck norris is a friend of mine you mentioned i'd uh spoken to him but i was at his uh his uh, uh ranch one time and i i uh he had just come off he did a movie called sidekicks which mm -hmm. it ought to be charitable was kind of chuck norris does karate kid and right. i um um he he visited our schools when he was promoting sidekicks. We took him around the theaters and he came to the schools and we had literally thousands of people trying to get his autograph. And but I sat down with Chuck and in, in, in a very friendly way. I said, Chuck, let me remind you, you ran, you know, a big chain of commercial schools. That's how you got into this. The way the way he got into acting, by the way, he was he was uh, uh trained with Bruce Lee and he was training Steve McQueen. And Steve McQueen suggested he go into acting. And it, the first big movie he was in was in one of bruce lee's movies they had a big fight scene mm -hmm. but i said to him i said what so why is it karate kid in your movie it's the drunk you know it's the drunk uh, uh cook or gardener who's the hero of the show and the commercial school operator the professional is the bad guy <laughs> right. right and karate kid crease <laughs> was the bad guy you know no mercy sir all that crap you know uh. cobra kai but the bad guy was the commercial guy and the good guy was the drunk gardener, uh, or in Chuck's movie, it was the drunk, you know, uh, uh, kitchen help. So I, I fairly, fairly heavily lambasted him for maintaining that stereotype. Regardless yeah. of that, it made me millions. So I, I, I can't complain too much. Yeah, and there's an awesome business lesson in it. There are a lot of awesome yeah. business lessons in that story, but one of the, one of the most basic is you went to where you knew your target audience would be. You bet. And that is such a key principle that so many business people really miss. They just you know, pick a platform because it's the platform du jour and they start dishing out whatever and they're not thinking about who is my target market? Where can I go find them? So talk to us a little bit about that, how you've applied that to marketing in general, and really how you came to the idea of, of setting up shop in those movie theaters. Yeah, I, I call it a lot uh, with our clients, fishing the right pond, right? right. Is, um, you know, if you're if you're going to be uh, premium priced, you don't want to bring in a bunch of broke people. If right. you're um, uh, targeting, you know, like in the advisors, if you're targeting 50 to 60 year olds coming up on retirement or in the martial arts field, mostly it was 
targeting mom of a seven-year-old and what um, um on on that target audience see people get that so wrong all the time and, and there's major big corporate stories about that um, um you remember when the detroit you know auto business was was just stumbling and an interesting thing they discovered which what pick picture who was who was running the marketing for cadillac or for chevy and all that stuff you know yeah. it was some guy who was 70 years old in detroit only driving around detroit he never saw a bmw or a toyota or anything in detroit because you know you either either are a car manufacturer or a supplier so you were afraid to and the marketing they they finally figured out that uh, as much as 80 percent of the buying decision was being made by a woman mm -hmm. not by a male and in the martial arts industry it's very similar uh, typical who run the martial arts schools tend to be athletes. They tend to be male. They tend to have a fairly macho culture about them. They're big, you know, nowadays UFC fans, one thing or another. So they're emula emulating and modeling all that. And then when they go in the kids market, they forget that mom's a decision maker. Mm -hmm. Dad holds veto power, but right. mom's going to be the re one that responds to the ads. Mom's going to be evaluating for seven-year-old son or seven-year-old daughter. Mom is going to be, you know, mostly in charge of the decision. So you mostly have men who are into the violence mm -hmm. designing ads that would target other people like them that they're hoping is going to attract the mom of a seven-year-old who's right. concerned about how the child is doing in school, concerned about how the child is uh, uh, dealing with peer pressure, dealing with online media, one thing or another. And there's a complete mismatch. Right. In the frame of reference, they're they're using the graphics and the you know in the ads. If you look at even nowadays in in Facebook, the photos they select versus what would work are completely yeah. different. The language that they use are completely different. If you go look at their websites, they're even worse. You know, because at least something like Facebook will A/B split test and tell them you know their stuff isn't working when it's not working. Uh, yeah. So that that's a that's a starting point is just that you know figure out what your audience is who it is you know luckily i figured it out pretty quickly that yeah. you know i wasn't so much advertising to dad i was involving dad because he could veto but i was advertising for the kids market i was advertising to mom i i started developing everything as if i was talking to mom about her seven-year-old daughter even yeah. though we had about 50 50 male female ratio but it was it was everything that she wanted to hear not maybe what dad would want his son to be you know learning how to be rough and tough, but what mom wanted developmentally uh, for their child. Yeah. And and how did you figure it out? You said, luckily, I figured it out. It wasn't luck, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you talked about mentorship and martial arts and one thing or another as we were uh, talking offline is, you know, when I was in, in, in D.C. working for this big multimillion dollar organization, I put together the business plan. I had I had everybody's help, uh, you know, the general manager, the owner of the organization and so forth. Their full support all, all the way to they let me go through the file cabinets, you know, and look at what they were spending. But the the one thing in learning how to do the sales, the teaching, the operations is I figured out I didn't know anything about the marketing. And they were advertising full page ads in the Washington Post. They were on TV. They were on the Kung Fu TV show, if you remember that from from back then. Um, Junior was a marketing genius. He uh, he had a gift for PR, uh, including you know bringing Muhammad Ali in and getting great press and right. you know one thing or another. Um, 
And so I, I figured out pretty quickly that I didn't understand how they were driving traffic. So I went, you know, and this is pre-Google. You know, I went to the Library of Congress and ended up studying great, you know, traditional direct response marketing uh, uh, books. The first ad campaign I did for my schools included a, a focus-targeted uh, sequential direct mail campaign, uh, mail merge targeted that was going to include uh, follow-up telephone, you know, uh, outbound telemarketing. Uh, we figured out pretty quickly how hard it is to telemarket 5,000 cold names. So that didn't go very far. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But it was all, all the way back then, it was it was studying, you know, uh, direct response marketing. Uh, back then, SCORE and, uh, um, um, you know, the S SBA provide lots of courses. Some of them were excellent. Some of them were horrible. I found a lot of their teachers were like the marketing director for Safeway. And so if you're getting ready to open a small business, their perspective, you know, was completely off base. But yeah. You know, I, I basically did everything I could in the pre-internet age to get my hands on any and everything related to how to market and fill up the school. And then when I moved to Denver, I ended up doing five schools in 18 months, six schools in 30 months, and grew to about 3,500 active students in the, uh, in the first three years. So obviously it paid off. Yeah, yeah. And, and there, there is so much parallel between what you're describing and what makes someone a black belt? What, oh, yeah. what, yeah. uh, what is required to master martial arts? And, uh, you know, you're talking about going and studying the masters. We've studied many of the same, Dan yeah. Kennedy, Jay Abraham, the list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. And so studying the masters, understanding what works, looking at what doesn't work, that's really a key in martial arts. It's a key in marketing. And, and uh, back to Dan Kennedy, you know, when you were talking about going after the moms mm -hmm. and changing the message from the macho, violent, you know, kick somebody's ass routine yeah. to build your kid's self-esteem and all of the elements that speak to the parents, what you're really talking about is something that Dan Kennedy calls message to market match. You bet. And that, that takes you to another really key principle of marketing and a key principle of martial arts, which is, which is balance. Mm -hmm. uh, Kennedy talks about marketing being a three-legged stool, you the bet. message, the market, and then the media. And if you don't get those three properly in balance, well, the stool is going to wobble, fall down. If you're not in balance in, in whatever martial art you're pursuing, same thing. You're going to follow that map pretty quickly. Yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about, uh, about all of the different media that you also have chosen to use and how that principle that I know you believe in of m the marketing being a three-legged stool has instructed the work that you've done over the years. Yeah, well, there, there, there probably isn't a media that I haven't used in, in, yeah. uh, in a um, uh, geographically targeted way with, uh, you know, with growing the martial arts schools and now, now working with financial advisors. And, you know, when, when I opened the locations, I was terribly underfinanced. I, uh, I had uh, my parents loaned me $10,000 and I had a pocket full of credit cards. Uh, in fact, when I did my MBA later, I remember the finance professor was talking about the amount of financing that a company needs to grow. And I gave him the example of what I had actually done. And he said, that's impossible. I said, no, it's just very stressful. Um, but, you know, it started out with figuring out how to do aggressive grassroots marketing that didn't cost money. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of small businesses miss the point that if you're going to grow quickly, but you don't have 
you know, a million dollars in the bank, half a million, whatever it might be, you got to figure out what aggressive grassroots marketing is going to work. And, and, yeah. and I basically had the principle was I'm going to do everything I can do that's free or cheap. And then with the money comes in, I'm going to keep running, you know, ramping it up to things that are uh, perhaps more productive, but more expensive. And what I would talk with my uh, clients, and a lot of them are, are fairly small, is I think of it as a graph. You have things that are labor intensive and uh, high cost, which uh, we try to avoid, things that are labor intensive and low cost, things that are low labor, but high cost, and things that, you know, are maybe a, a mixture of those things. And most paid media, TV, infomercials, radio, tend to be in that you create the spot, and then there's very little labor involved after that, but there's a lot of media buy, right? Where a lot, lot of what we were doing early on with the schools was very grassroots. So it was getting out directly into elementary schools and running what we called PE teacher for the day. And, and, and it, a direct response principle you'll, you'll appreciate is what everybody else would do if, if they did something like that is they go do a demo. Well, we didn't do a demo, we did a class because we wanted it to be a participation. The other thing that they'll do is they'll maybe pass out flyers or something like that. Well, we passed out permission slips. So we sent home permission slips, which is what? A lead page, right? Mm -hmm. Same as a lead page online now. We send a permission slip home ahead of time. We get 85% more or less. So 500 kids, we'd get, uh, let's say, 40 or 400, 450 leads back. You know, we'd get the permission slips filled out. So name, address, phone number, later email address, mobile number. And then we'd go in and we'd teach a class for the kids. And then we would have a way of contacting the parents. So one of the things that, um, you know, the lesson from that is all marketing now, you know, the internet gurus teach, you know, you have a landing page and you collect information and then you follow up on that. And most people do a bad job on following up. Right. But still, most people in in the kind of grassroots marketing that that I do for the martial arts schools, they end up just getting exposures but they never end up capturing a lead and they right. never follow up proactively. And the thing that made, made it go from maybe I got one or two enrollments to I got 400 leads and 40 enrollments mm -hmm. was that ability to proactively follow up on. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there you're talking about yeah. direct, they call it direct response marketing mm -hmm. for a reason. It's about putting yourself in front of an audience, making that connection, collecting the information that you yeah. need to respond and then following up quickly and effectively. You know, there's the old, uh, I think it's a Gary Halbert quote. I've heard Kennedy say it, um, you know, how, how are, how are you going to market your hamburger stand? Right. Well, right. You know, uh, go find a horde of hungry people. Start a starving and, crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Starving crowd. And, and uh, you're, you're demonstrating that, yeah. but that story, the Halbert and Kennedy quote doesn't, it, it ends without that really critical piece that you just shared. You know, it's one thing to show up in front of the starving crowd. It's another thing to follow up with the starving crowd. So they get a hamburger today, tomorrow, the next day, and you become the favorite hamburger joint. No, exactly. And, and, and it's such a big difference is, you know, so many times we're just happy to get exposure, right? We pass out flyers or we, you know, in, in today's day and age, you know, we get a YouTube view or whatever it might be. Well, if it doesn't lead to them raising their hand in some way yep. and giving you follow-up information and then uh, something where you can eventually convert them to whatever your sales process is, for the advisors and for the martial arts schools, it's always convert them to an appointment. 
and then convert them into a, a client. And with the advisor side, there might be a qualification process in between, you know, to make sure, you know, you're not dealing with broke people when you're looking for people who have a 2 million in investable assets per se, yep. but same thing. I mean, you've got to some way, shape or form, get them to raise their hand and then spend 90% of your effort on people who raise their hands right. and 10% of your effort on trying to get people to raise their hand. Yeah. And I've been a marketing consultant as you have for many, many decades. And what would you estimate? 80% of the people who come to you, maybe 90% come saying, leads, 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 give me new leads. I need leads. I need leads. And they are not doing what you talk about, spending 90% of their time milking the cows that are already in the barn. You have so much opportunity with the people who have already raised their hand oh, yeah. from existing clients who you can turn into champions and referral partners and upsell and cross-sell to those who haven't yet bought but are, are following you and paying attention to you wherever you're communicating with them. And, and so that idea, number one, get those leads to raise their hand. Exposure alone's not worth it. Number two, once they raise their hand, spend 90% of your time focusing on them. That alone's worth the price of admission for those of you yeah. who are listening and watching. Yeah. And, 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 and you can, you can um, uh, whittle it down a little bit even more is, you know, in, in today's online marketing world, you know, what we're finding is if I try to, if, if I initiate getting them on the phone mm -hmm. in 30 seconds, yep. I have a massively better conversion ratio than if it's just two or three hours later. Yep. Right. And so you kind of end up with two things that sound contradictory, but they're not is the immediate response to them and immediately getting them on the phone Mm -hmm. creates a 300%, 400%, 500% better conversion rate. Yeah. On the other side, what most people do is they try real hard for a week mm -hmm. or they try really hard for a couple of weeks, or maybe they get real sophisticated and do 29 days sequential autoresponder, and then they give up on people. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, I was having a, a, a meeting. There's uh, probably 50 of them were all my clients and they're paying uh, uh, three, 4,000 a month each. Uh, to be part of this group. And I asked him a simple question. I said, you know, you guys aren't following up with your leads, you know, long enough, strong enough and so forth. But let me ask you a question. How long did you follow me before you decided to decide, you know, jump on board? Yep. One of them said nine years. One of them said seven years. One of them yep. said four years. Another said three years. And of course, there were a few that saw something and, you know, and jumped right away. Uh, I just did a, a new promotion. And, you know, we got 19 people to respond. And of those, I would argue four or five are new. Um, and 15 are uh, probably equal halfway between they used to be a client and faded out. And yep. now this got them to raise their hand again. Or they had been on one of the lists and have been following forever. And finally, it, it clicked their button and they decided to respond. And so you look at those kind of ratios. That's why you know, you follow up and I'm not talking about just by email, but you follow up forever. I mean, we'll follow right. up forever by email, by text, by voiceless voicemail, by direct mail. Mm -hmm. uh, periodically, we'll put a live person on going back to the list and calling. That's what we were doing last month is taking our 500 hottest prospects and our 100, 100 or 200 former clients and had two different people, you know, burning up the phone lines, trying to get hold yeah. of them. 
Yeah, such valuable advice. And and uh, you and I both know and have done work with Dave D, who's yeah. a fabulous marketer. You bet. Really knows his stuff when it comes to lead gen through mm-hmm. webinars. And really, uh, it's less about lead gen and, and more about engaging existing uh, prospects with webinars. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I remember him saying is, hey, don't get the idea that you're going to throw a webinar, especially with cold leads, and yeah. that the next day, they're going to call you up and sign a contract. Right. He said, I follow up. And I think on average, he said, it's nine months of persistent follow up and communication and engaging in a in a entertaining way until, you know, at some point, so many months out, they show up and yeah. the client and and he has stories also about years later people come out of the woodwork and and drop ten thousand dollars on oh, some yeah. program that he's oh yeah. yeah and 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 um you know a lot of people who aren't in the world that we're in they 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 freak out and they say well how many times am i going to have to talk to talk to each individual well a lot of this is one to many right it just mm-hmm. feels to them like it's one to one or it feels to them like it's personalized so so yeah. You know, I, I, I did, I just mailed 500 fake handwritten note cards. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's literally the thing the politicians used to use. It's a handwritten note. It's to former clients and hot prospects. Um, You know, it feels personal to them. You know, from my standpoint, we wrote the text once, put it together and it, you know, it goes out in bulk. Same thing with a daily or three or four time a week email. You know, you're showing up, you become friendly, you become familiar to them and again the mistake this is what dave is is a genius at i'm i i'm still working on the self-discipline to be uh i i'm very good at it i i, I haven't been as disciplined as i should at but to just create the the daily engaging email yeah. and a lot of it is just life story and discussion about what went through your day um somebody you you, you probably know um, uh mad fury who was mm-hmm. uh, who did this really well I remember I used to read Matt's and he was, he was famous for twice a day emails. And uh, for the people who don't know him, he sold uh, programs on wrestling and fitness and, and um, um, he uh, owns psycho cybernetics now. So he sold um, uh, different courses in the book and so forth. But sometimes his email would be, Oh my God, I got out of bed this morning. I, I uh, smacked my big toe on the bed and I stumbled and, you know, there was this coursing of curse words coming out of my mouth. And then I, I reframed myself and realized what I needed to accomplish. And it would be just like stuff like that. The, yeah. uh, the old Gary Halbert newsletter. Yeah. You know, uh, the Gary Halbert newsletter, and this is a paid subscription once a month, you would open it up and you never know what you're going to find. Sometimes yeah, exactly. you find this tremendous, le- you know, lesson on direct mail. I remember one time I get it and there's a picture of this girl from uh, Costa Rica in a bikini. <laughs> and the entire newsletter was about this new girlfriend he met in Costa Rica and uh, why Costa Rica is a great place to go meet girls. And, yeah. you know, and, and uh, one of his most famous ads was a personal ad he wrote for, for himself, by the way. But it, exactly. it's all that, yeah. it's all that kind of out of the box, engaging personal. And, right. you know, if I, if I go to what, um, you know, what the martial arts guys do poorly is they tend to be egocentric and it's all about their bio. But right. what the advisors do poorly is it's all about the return in the market. And it's ne- never about them. Right. And it's That's not it. personal. It's not engaging. They're all trying to look alike, be alike. They're all vanilla. And it's the ones that stand out that have something interesting about their their hobbies, their background, their interests, their focus. 
you know, maybe they they dress in a quirky way or they have a, you know, a classic car or they're into motorcycles or something. They're the ones that stand out. They're not the yeah. ones that, uh, you know, every, everybody else is trying to have a contest to be the same. It's it really needs to be something that feels personal, that gives you personality and then then is touching those people on a regular basis. Yeah, because especially for the professional service providers who who believe that they have valuable information to share, the tendency is to just dish out in this very professional and serious tone. Here is the important information that you need to know today about the trends in the market or the Roth IRA rules or blah, 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 blah. blah. And what they don't realize yeah. is that even if they think they have some special sauce to whatever it is they may know about Roth IRAs in the market, (laughs) information's a commodity. Information is not enough. And to your point, you have to instill some personality into it. You have to make it entertaining. And all those people you mentioned, Matt Fury, uh, Dan Kennedy and his emails, Ben Settle, Gary Halbert, uh, Dave D. Uh, I like to think this is what I do. It's what I teach. Uh, daily emails with a lot of personality and a lot of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, there's always rolled into it some kind of meaningful information and some kind of call to action. This yeah. notion that over here are the valuable, entertaining, fun emails. And over here are the ones where we sell. Get rid of that idea. Mm-hmm. I know you understand this and you practice this. It's all, there's always a call to action. You're yeah. always yeah. selling, but what you're doing is delivering valuable information in an entertaining way as a lead in to say, oh, by the way, sign up for my thing, download this, go to my event, buy my product, whatever it may be. Yeah, and the, and, and the other word you could throw in there is authenticity. Yeah, you know, and, yeah, and right, and in in the age of social media, you know, of filters, and you know, every get rich guru is standing in front of the Lamborghini, you know, and <laughs> in front of the rented private jet, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, uh, with the photo of the uh, you know the uh, Miami uh, con- you know penthouse uh, on the green screen in the background when they're in their mom's basement is, <laughs> you know, what 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 sells nowadays is authenticity. Um, yeah. uh, I forget his name, but you know. Somebody's got a huge online social media following was talking about uh, really building his uh, his video presence. And he said he first went and set up the big expensive studio and he had, you know, he had millions at his disposal, set up a big expensive studio, did all this stuff. And then he figured out the videos he was shooting on his couch, just talking to the uh, the video yeah. were, were doing much, much better. Yeah. And it's. The, the thing that I think is missed in almost all marketing is, you know, I, I, I know with the martial arts guys, they try to put a corporate facade mm-hmm. on a personal business and their emails come out in a corporate voice, their letters come out in a corporate voice. And first thing I always slap them around about is that should be coming from you. Right. As the instructor, it shouldn't be coming from the school name. You know, I mean, right. nobody gets a warm and fuzzy when they get an email from AT&T. Right. right. Um, but there's that that personal putting up a human face on it. Uh, and there's there's good corporate examples of that. Everything from Steve Jobs is a personal face of Apple to mm-hmm. to um, Lee Iacocca when he turned around mm-hmm. Chrysler, who was a Victor Kayam, uh, the the old razor blade. Yeah, the razor blade. Uh, example. I mean, there's, and there's lots of current examples as well. You know, Wendy's was never the, the same after Dave Thomas, you know, was gone. Exactly. And, yeah. and so putting that personal face on things and the personality and authenticity hits all the right buttons. 
Yeah, I've heard you tell a story about your clients who were big Star Wars fans, are yeah. big Star Wars fans, yeah. and how you advise them to lean into that. That's exactly what you're talking about right now. Yeah, that, that, that was the financial advisor example is, yes. is um, you know, there's a, a great book, and I, I, I've always thought about 80% of it is just silly, and 20% of it is, is, is gold, but it's Tim Ferriss's book, uh, mm -hmm. Four Hour Workweek. Right. And, and he uses this example of the, you know, the old bald fat guy in the red BMW convertible as right. his, you know, avatar of what he didn't want to be. Right. And that becomes the basis of the book. And with the financial advisors, I think the avatar for us is, is stolen from Ferris has been the guy in the JCPenney suit sitting at the oak desk, looking the same as everybody else. And, mm -hmm. and I've now looked at thousands of websites and thousands of LinkedIn profiles, and you can't tell one from the other. Right. Yep. And then they try to differentiate themselves with this alphabet soup of, of credentials that nobody but them knows what it means and cares. Right. You yeah. can be a CFP, yeah. which is the biggest one, but you can be a CFHC and a, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm butchering a couple of these RICP registered, uh, 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 well, whatever. But last count, <laughs> last count, there's like 85 of these different designations. Right. Yeah. And, you know, CFP is kind of like you're a CPA. Uh, but you know, they're anywhere from, I did a, a month course to, I did a six month, whatever, but you'll see this string of stuff that their prospects don't know what it means, mm -hmm. don't care and, and really have no, no interest in, and they think that's going to be their differentiator. Well, mm -hmm. though their differentiator is, uh, you know, David Phelps, he's the guy for the dental industry to show them how not to have to be a practicing dentist anymore, show them how to retire or early he calls the company freedom founders freedom from mm. being a dentist and he's a he's a financial advisor he's just in the uh, real estate side of it he's not so he puts them into income producing properties but you've got to figure out how to stand out for your niche and also stand out individually so the star wars example was one of the first things i ask any of the financial advisors is i say well let's go through your client list what's common among your clients well what do you mean well you know, are, are, is there a certain group of people that you really click with, that you love working with, that they love working with you? If you were to narrow it down into the ones you make the most money from, that are least pain in your ass, who, who you enjoy the most, what would it be, right? And then the, the and, and usually they never even thought about that, right? They may find that they have a heavy weighting of, you know, commercial uh, real estate brokers or a heavy weighting of investment bankers or heavy weighting of uh, uh, independent business owners. But they never even thought about that. They're just looking for anybody with half a million to invest. Uh, but then the other thing is, what's interesting about you? You know, what hobbies, what um, uh, the first advisor I worked with, the way I got back into the niche, uh, a good friend of mine now, his name's Peter. Uh, he's into Porsches. And so mm -hmm. he's had every model of the 911 Turbo. He's now in the, the process of collecting one of each generation of the 911 Turbo. And I keep saying to Peter, I can't get him to do it, by the way. But I keep saying to Peter, you should have the office with the glass wall and you have the car collection on the other side and you have the German theme and one thing or another everywhere. And then you should be doing the once a quarter seminar down at the Porsche dealership that mm -hmm. you dropped two million dollars in. They should be marketing to their their clientele uh, to come here. The, the whatever lessons you're doing, you should be in the Porsche Club of America, the local newsletter, the the statewide newsletter, the national, you should be a columnist in the national newsletter. We can go find 
list of everybody else who has a 911 turbo and you can send them a, a, a letter, you know, with you and your collection and, you know, and I, the, the headline writes itself, you know, how to, how to secure your retirement, uh, retire wealthy and still have time to, to uh, invest with and play with your toys, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, right. Can't get him to do it, but uh, but it would it would uh, it's brilliant, right? <laughs> it is brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's brilliant. And and um, I was thinking about uh, my financial advisor, who I forget the first half of his title because it's the forgettable part. Yeah. But the second half of his title is Chief Joy Bringer. There you go. Albright Albritton Financial, and and his name's Neil Albritton, and and he is all about getting down and dirty into the personal stuff of what brings him joy. I know all about him and his hobbies. He's a martial artist. There you go. Um, loves to get out in the country, drive his Jeep, loves his dogs. Now I know all about him yeah. and he knows all about me and my kids and our farm and everything about us. And, and just that little detail. And there are many more details about this guy and, and how he runs his business. He has a, the, uh, the greatest, uh, bar full of, uh, uh, small batch bourbons and single malt scotch in the, in the office. You always can get a dram if you want. Um, the closet in his office has a sign that says this way to Narnia. I love it. Little jokes, yeah, little yeah. personality. It's awesome. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Some people get that. Some people don't. And those who think that they have to go through life wearing this professional face, everything's serious, I'm going to deliver serious information, they're going to be left behind. They're already being left behind. Yeah, especially in the age of AI um, is, yeah. is the the actual, and, and it's, it's what I've told the, the martial arts guys forever, but it, it's even more true for the financial advisors is you know, it goes back to Gerber's, you know, uh, e-myth where he talks about, you know, all business were started by a technician and one day had entrepreneurial seizure. But <laughs> most people think it's the technical component of what they do that's the value added. Right. And it really isn't what's the value added. It, in, right. in the martial arts side, they all try to advertise their X degree black belt and they train with this person and this person. They won this and won this. All stuff that their audience has no interest in whatsoever. Mm -hmm. They don't care. They don't know what it means, any of that. Um, but you've got to really step back and say, what's the conversation that they're going to have? And then what will make you endearing? You know, if you go on back to the insurance site, when I opened my first school, the guy next door, John McCain, I still remember, I haven't seen him in years, but he was a, a uh, Arkansas Razorbacks fan. Mm -hmm. His business cards had the stupid suey pig thing on it, right? right, right he right. had the, and you know, you can tell I'm not a Razorbacks fan. I, you know, my family's from down there, but, but everywhere in his office, you had the, you know, the Razorback, the suey pigs, the stupid little, you know, finger thing, the thing he brought back from the last game he went to. And, and this is in Colorado. So it wasn't like he was catering to them in, uh, in Fayetteville. Um, but it was, it was engaging, you know, and, and you could be, uh, you could be a fan of their arch rival, whoever that might be. And you would find him engaging and fun and, and interesting and, and find something about him that was, that was interesting. And what happens is you're watching TV on a Saturday afternoon and you see that Arkansas beat Missouri in the big football game. And you think to myself, ah, that guy pops in your head. That's yeah. he's at home. He's happier. He was at the game cheering. It just, it, people are, when you, when you present with personality, when you entertain, when you share stories, when you give yourself, 
then people are more likely to know, like, trust, remember, and choose you. Yeah. But the Star Wars story, we never got around to that, was yeah. I was talking to an advisor and I, I kept probing. I said, what's interesting about you? You know, what's what's unusual? What hobbies do you have? And and almost sheepishly, he finally says, well, it's kind of embarrassing. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, me and my wife are big Star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. So the other room over there is, you know, pictures of us dressed up at Comic-Con, dressed up at Star Wars events. And by the way, I was the guy who went to the Star Trek conventions, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the only time I ever liked Saturday Night Live was uh, William Shatner's parody of, of the Star <laughs> right. Trek conventions, by the way. Do you remember that one? I do. You guys, yeah. it's a TV show. Get a life. <laughs> but, uh, um, but we started talking. I said, well, you're doing almost all your business on Zoom. You're living your life on Zoom. Why don't you make your office your Star Wars collection? And, you know, I mean, sure, you can put your diploma back there and so forth, but put all the Star Wars stuff up, right? Um, you know, like, like if you look at my backdrop, you know, uh, uh, Junri taught Muhammad Ali. The boxing glove is signed by Muhammad Ali. I've got a couple of pictures of me and Chuck Norris back on the wall, some martial arts diplomas. I've actually got some academic credentials, but, you know, it's mostly just kind of eclectic crap. Uh, I'm a big Fleetwood Mac fan, so the guitar is signed by the members of Fleetwood Mac. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just all kind of interesting, eclectic. Uh, but the, I said, well, where, where that on your sleeve, right? Let's, mm -hmm. let's create the, you know, let's create the website. And, you know, I, I was, um, looking at a, an advisor. I didn't ever work with him, but he was a big fly fishing fan. So his, his, uh, website had a picture of him fly fishing. He had a blog on fly fishing, one thing or another. Well, if you're a fly fisher, you found your guy, right? Mm -hmm. If that's the right word to use, um, and with the Star Wars guy, I said, look, everybody loves Star Wars, right? You're not going to you're not going to get anybody who thinks, oh, my God, that's you know, that's the enemy. Uh, but you're going to get people who think it's cute and are engaging. But I got to tell you what, there's at least, a, um, you know, 20 million Star Wars fans that would probably be good clients for you. So yeah. you're going to you're going to engage and click with them more than anybody else would. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to that word that you shared before, yeah. authentic. You you bet. Know, even if even if you don't like Star Wars, mm -hmm. you you said it. No one's going to say, "Oh, this person likes Star Wars." You know, no way, I'm not doing business with him. It mm -hmm. just it just makes you more human. You mentioned AI a moment ago. In this age of robots, you have to figure out a way to stand out as human. You bet. Yeah, you know, I'll give you another example. I I, I use that example. There's a, another marketing guru uh, for financial advisors, James Pollard. And I don't know him very well. I've I, I've met him. He's got some similar background to we uh, to what we have. I listen to his podcast and one thing or another. But I invited him onto my podcast, you know, the financial advisor marketing podcast. And we were talking, and somehow I told the story of you know my son's a big Star Wars fan and maybe Comic Con or something. I forget how it came up. And I've always been a Star Trek fan. And we have the battles about one thing or another. And then a couple of days after we get done with the with the uh, uh, podcast. I get a bobblehead, um, uh, what do they call it? The little square box um, pops or what, whatever they're called. The, um, it'll come to me. But, you know, the little figurines that you can't get away from. But one of them was Kirk and one of them was Darth Vader. Yeah. And the note said, uh, you know, I, I, since you're, I, I so much enjoyed our, our time on the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, I, I heard you say you're a Star Wars fan, so I thought you might enjoy this. And by the way, you said your son's a, a Star Trek fan, so I sent that. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I looked it up. You know, they're eight or ten dollars each on Amazon. It took him three or four clicks. 
but what the important thing was is when I made a reference, he made a note. Yeah. And he remembered it. Yeah. And then the follow-up was hyper-personal, right? Yeah. Now, I could have gotten an email from him that said, thanks for, you know, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'd love to come back someday. Yeah, that would have been nice, yeah. right? But the personal gift about something that I mentioned, he even recognized they were paying attention. And this was cute. And by the way, I've got both of them. I should have had it on my desk here. Both of them sitting out with his note taped on it as an example I've used 10 times, giving him, you know, giving him full credit for it, even yeah. though, you know, sort of we're in competition, but I mean, it's a big C out there. Yeah. Yeah. It just so many awesome stories you've shared, Stephen, and, and so many, so many valuable lessons inside. This is one of those episodes to go back, listen to, watch again, and uh, just, take notes. I feel like we could do this for another couple of hours. But oh, we yeah, we, we, we've got to get our time limit anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I have things to do. Uh, but I, I have a feeling down the road, we'll get you back on the show. We'll do this again. And we'll just uh, go down some other roads and, and figure out what other experience and knowledge and martial arts lessons to share with the audience. But in the meantime, we do have to call it a day. I want you to share with our audience where they can find you so they can dig deeper into what Stephen Oliver is all about. And before you say that, I want to emphasize, don't tune out. Don't decide, oh, I don't need to go check this guy out just because you don't run a martial arts school or just because you're not a financial planner. The stuff that Stephen is doing is valuable and instructive to anybody who's running a business. Now, I'm not sure that that uh, you uh, you want all sorts of people calling you up and, and saying, give me advice, but um, nonetheless, pay attention, check, it, check out Stephen's stuff whether you were running a martial arts school or a financial planner. Stephen, where can they find you? Well, I, I, I've got, as, as you might imagine, all kinds of free gifts, a newsletter and so forth. Advisor Wealth Mastery is, uh, is one site for the financial advisors, but I'll gift them two or three of my books there, one thing or another. And they're completely applicable to any niche. And then martialartswealth.com uh, um, martial is the site for the financial advisors. You can find me anywhere online, Stephen Oliver, I, I'm not the 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 painter or the actor or the artist, but the uh, the martial artist and the financial advisor guy. So yep. I'm uh, out there everywhere else. Well, all these links where you can find Stephen are going to be in the show notes. Stephen Oliver really enjoyed being with you today, and if you enjoyed the episode, please go check out Story Power Marketing Show on Apple. Give us a five star review, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Also go to storypowermarketing.com for free resources, downloads, sign up for the email list to see how I do it like Matt Fury and all those others that we talked about. And we'll see you down the road. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you so much, Tom. It was fun. It, it flies, doesn't it? It flies. Thanks. For listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com slash resources, where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails, download free business building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, 
please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Sometimes I find outside